Always a good day to be in church, right? So glad to see all your smiling faces. If you're visiting with us today, I'd love to get to meet you, get to know you. Um, i actually be hanging out in the lobby afterwards. We can shake hands and stuff if you'd like. We also know this, that people will watch a sermon or two online before they come and visit the church. And so I want to welcome it. Thank you. I want to welcome everybody who's watching online. And uh, we'd love to get to know you and meet you sometime in the future as well, as well. You know, today we're starting a brand new series called Losing My Religion. Losing My Religion. You know, before I get into that, I want to talk a little bit about, have you ever seen how relationships sometimes get rules put on them, and the rules can then choke out the relationship? Yes? No? Yeah, okay, you've seen that happen from time to time, where there's, there's rules that get put on, unnecessary rules, like, I got a rule, like the toilet paper obviously rolls under, not over, because... No, see, now you have rules too. You say it rolls over and I say it rolls under. And so, so we could potentially fight over this relationship. But, you know, as husband and wife and as men and women, sometimes in a marriage relationship, we can come up with rules that, like, for, for example, the toilet seat. Crickets. Does it stay down? Does it go up? I mean, I'm a big boy. I can put it up and down. Can you put it up and down? I'm just saying, right? Is there, there's toilet seat rules, right? There's, there's rules over different things. Do the, how about in your dishwasher? Have you worked that out yet? Do the blades go up or the blades go down, right? You have, oh, man, I, I, I think they go up because you want, you know, the, the little basket can block the water jets from cleaning it thoroughly. But then I had little kids, and I realized that they might reach in there, and then they're going to, oh, maybe blades down for safety, right? So people go back and forth, and they have all these different rules, you know, sometimes as a man, I think every question should be able to be answered with a clear yes or no, and that should be sufficient. No unnecessary talking at all. Right? Just yes, no, that's it. Like there shouldn't be, you know, how's, you know, anyhow, yes, I'll go on. But, you know, sometimes you put too many rules on relationships and it can burden the relationship down to a place where it becomes hard to have a relationship. Those are fun ones to talk about and joke about because they laugh, but there's some real ones that happen in relationships that you've got to be careful about the rules that you can put on the relationship. It can be too much weight to put on something. In fact, too much weight on a relationship will cause it to collapse. When I was, when I was younger, I'm in my 40s now, by the way. That's right. Something happened this week. I turned 40 this week, so now I am an old, wise sage. In fact, we had age categories. If you're, if you're new here, you, you'll catch on soon that we've age categorized diff- different ages within the church. This happened a couple of years ago because I, I was in my 30s and I, I explained, like, well, we've got our teenagers and we've got our 20s and we've got our 30s. And I thought, man, life just keeps getting better and better and better. So once you are over the age of 40, life must just be awesome. So, so now I'm officially in the awesome category of life. That's right. Life is good. Where are my awesome people at? If you're over 40, that's right. Yes, life is awesome. It just gets better and better and better. But you know, in my 20s, I had purchased my first house and I was starting to landscape the backyard. And, and I did what I, um, I was landscaping the yard. I had friends come over. We threw a rock party in my backyard. 
My rack party was shovels, wheelbarrows, and gravel, and we spread it out throughout the yard. And, and so we had a rock party, and, and so we got the rocks together. Well, we didn't quite get it all done, or maybe we ran out of gravel. They came back and dropped off another load, and it was in the driveway, and, and it was up to me to be able to get the gravel spread um, for the last little bit. <clears throat> and so I loaded up the wheelbarrow, and I'm taking it back. And, and, and to the back, and I'm dumping it. And I had this funny wheelbarrow that had really long wheelbarrow handles on it, probably so you can get extra leverage for picking up the heavier loads that are there. And me and my inexperienced landscaping abilities, I, I loaded up the rock, took a load back, and, and I thought, man, I could do this in less trips if I put more gravel in the wheelbarrow. And so I... <laughs> So I, I, heard the, I heard the moaning, people like, oh no. But I started loading up, I'm like, I'm just going to fill this thing to the top. I mean, I got these extra long handles, I can, I can just wheel it in. And so I loaded up extra tall, and I grab onto the handles, and I'm trying to go, and it's a little awkward. And, and so I think I'm going to choke up on the handles in order to get a better grip. So I kind of choke up on the handles. So at this point, you got to get this visual so you can understand this, that as I'm loading up the wheelbarrow with all of this extra weight, this, this heavy gravel, I mean, it's, it's got to be hundreds of pounds, I can't even imagine it this point. So the handles on the wheelbarrow are now standing back beyond me by a good 18 to 24 inches. So I have this V of handles coming on either side of me. And I'm picking up the wheelbarrow and I think, all right, I've got it. So I start to walk. But as I'm turning the corner, I lose control of the wheelbarrow. And so I'm holding on with all of my might and I'm trying to keep it from going down. And I can feel something tear on the inside of me. And and I realized, oh no, this is bad news. I should probably let go. So I did. I let go. But I've got a handle back here and a handle back here. So I have hundreds of weight, pounds of weight that grabbed me like a fork and just twisted me over and just slammed me to the ground. Massive hernia, ma major disc damage in my back. I'm, I'm really in agonizing pain. I'm laying there on the driveway realizing that everybody is gone. Wife's at work. Nobody's there. It's like 8.30 in the morning, so all of my neighbors have left for work, and I'm laying there in the driveway realizing I'm completely helpless. All that extra weight I loaded up into the wheelbarrow had absolutely crushed me. So I start to pull myself by my arms. I'm imagining like an army crawl movie, right? The, the theme music. And I'm dragging myself into the house thinking, what am I going to do? I can't even hardly feel my, my back and my body. It hurts so much. And I'm in agonizing pain. And, and I finally get into the house and I'm laying down on the ground. And I'm thinking, what is going to happen? And as I laid there, finally the adrenaline, everything kind of calmed back down. And I could finally get kind of feeling back in my body again. And, and I get back and I kind of get back up on my feet just a little bit. And, and I got to tell you, I damaged so much stuff in my body. I had to have surgery in order to repair some of the damages that happened in my body from the weight that was inside of that wheelbarrow. I had years and years and years of rehab and, and physical therapy and recovery to try to get off of, of, of the damage that happened from the weight that was in the wheelbarrow. Listen, if you put too much weight into your life, into your relationship with Jesus, it can cause some damage. And it can cause some damage in your walk with the Lord in such a way. In fact, some people say, I, I can't stand religion. I like Jesus, but I don't like church. Have you ever heard that before? It's because people will say they associate church with religion, with rules, with, with this extra weight and this extra burden. If you have to do this, you can't do this. And, and be able to put all this extra weight onto your life to the point where it can finally just crush you and cause serious damage. Some people are damaged for months or years. or The, the pain of, of putting the extra weight onto the relationship of Jesus can, can get to the place where you, you end up causing damage, even some people, for the rest of their life. 
If you're here today and you're struggling with this, I want to tell you that Jesus came to set you free. He didn't came to come to burden you down. Jesus didn't come to, to load you up with all kinds of rules and all kinds of things. He said, no, I just, I'm calling you to follow me. It's a, it's a relationship. And the title of my message is, is, is it's about the relationship. It's the relationship is greater than religion. Jesus didn't call us into rules. He called us into a relationship. He called us into following him. That's what he said. Jesus never walked around this earth and, and he didn't go to his disciples and say, okay, if you can do one, two, three, and four, then you can then be my disciple. No, he just said, just, just come follow me. Just come follow me. And Jesus has the same call to you today. Just come and follow me. It is important. This is important. And the Bible has something to say about this. Now, we're going to be in the book of John and in chapter nine, book of John chapter nine. Now, I'm doing something new uh, I figure I'm 40, I'm an adult now, um, I can make my own decisions, and so I'm doing something new, no, it's, okay, yeah, I'm still a child inside, you, you should know that, I'm like a middle schooler, my humor especially, yeah, my wife just says, yep, absolutely, so if you have a bulletin this morning, I'm doing something a little bit different, and we're going to try this through this series, and if you like it and I like it, we might just keep on doing this, but it's something I'm going to try, on the back of your bulletin, there are sermon notes with fill in the blank answers. I've always thought that'd be fun to do, and I think I would enjoy doing it. I like doing that when I'm in other people's churches or sermons, and I see that they do it. I think that's really kind of a cool tool, and so I thought, I'm going to try that for this series. So, so if you have a bulletin on the back, you can see there's some fill-in-the-blanks if, if you want to take some, some notes and, uh, uh, from what we're talking about this, this morning. Um, if you missed your bulletin, too bad, so sad. Um, next week, uh, we'll do it again. Um, we're going to do it for the next three or so weeks as we're into this series um, called Losing My Religion. So here we are in John chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. John chapter 9, verses 1 two, and 2. And so <clears throat> verse 1 says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And, his dis- oh, and he, I should, hold on. It's, he is Jesus. Jesus is walking down the road with his disciples, and he sees a man who's blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Here you have a guy who was born blind, and the instant assumption is that there must be so much sin in either his life or his parents' life that this is the punishment for this sinful behavior inside of him or his family. I mean, this guy's never seen. He's never seen. He was born blind. He's never seen colors, never seen trees. He's, he's never seen the ocean. He's never seen a monsoon rainstorm, which are awesome. But people 2,000 years ago believed in this novel idea called karma that you guys here have heard that before. Humanity hasn't changed that much over the course of time. But they believed in karma, that something happened in the past in order to cause a consequence in the future. They believed that he or his parents, now he was born blind, you have to just assume at this point that that it must have been his parents because could he have sinned in the womb in order to cause himself to go blind? I mean, I don't think so. I don't remember those days personally, um, but being in the womb. But So this is it. You see, religion has a conversation about people. They're standing next to the guy saying, Hey, has this guy done this? Like, the guy isn't deaf. He's blind. He can hear them saying this. He says, is, is this guy sin, you know, or his family? He says, religion has a conversation about them. Relationship has a conversation with them. Religion has a conversation about them. Relationship has a conversation with them. 
Could you imagine being literally just feet away, listening to Jesus and his disciples talking about him and his sin from his past that may have caused him to become blind? I mean, isn't that crazy? Have you ever been in a situation where somebody was talking about you and they didn't think you were standing there, but you were standing there? Or even worse, they're talking negative about you and then you hear about it later. Or they send a group email not realizing you're in the group while they're trashing you. You've got some chuckles there. You've had that happen. Somebody replies all instead of replying directly and they put something fairly negative in there. You see these things where where people will, will talk bad about this other person. Religion will talk about them, but you see relationship, you talk with them. You talk with them. Sometimes it's easier to talk about someone than to talk with them. Here's what happens is, is in church world, this happens. Sometimes we can talk about a certain group of people in such a way that, that they don't exist. Or, or we start to talk about them in such a way that they're not amongst us. You know what I'm saying? Like we end up talking about a group of people and we start to label them. We start to label them. It, it, this happens in politics all the time. It happens in the world all the time. It happens in the church all the time. Oh, those liberals. Oh, those conservatives. Those Democrats, those Republicans. We, we can start making lump sums and put people into groups and we start to label them and we start to call them by the labels that we assign to their thing. You see, we start to categorize people. We start to categorize people and we start to label them. And whenever we categorize someone, whenever we categorize groups, we start to categorize them and then we start to demonize them when we think that they're not standing there. When we categorize, we will demonize every single time. Okay, moving forward, number six, verse six says, having said these things, Jesus and the disciples had a bit of a conversation. Having said these things, Jesus spits on the ground and makes mud with saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. So Jesus spits on the ground to make mud. Now, the climate there is kind of dry and dusty. Not too much unlike Albuquerque is dry and dusty. If you saw dirt on the ground and wanted to spit into it to make mud to wipe onto someone's eyes, this is not a gentle, dainty spit. This is going to have to take a few attempts of ejecting saliva to get enough liquid into the ground to make enough mud to cover his eyes. Like his, his eyes had to be covered with, with mud. So, you know, there's a little t t t At some point in time, he's just going to have to dig deep, you know? Get, get, really get into it. And he's you know, to be able to get this thing, he has to get a little bit of mud put together. And this is my middle school humor coming out. And get the mud put together to wipe it over the man's eyes. He's got to be able to cover it. He took the mud and he wiped it on the blind man's eyes. This is so messed up. This is so messed up. The guy's blind. He needs to be healed. Why has he got spit and dirt all over this guy's face? I mean, talk about a mess, right? I just want to like take a picture and, and we, could, we should reenact that and put it on Instagram. <laughs> Any volunteers? Jesus used the mess that he made in order to deliver a miracle. Listen, you might have a mess in your life today that you don't want on Instagram. You might have something on you right now that you don't want other people to see. But listen, there is a mess in your life and I believe that God wants to use that mess to deliver a miracle to where you're at today. Listen, Jesus did it then and he can do it again. We sang that song about how he can do it again. We believe that God could do it again. Listen, he could turn your mess into a miracle. He turned that mess into a miracle. He can do it 
again. Verse number seven, and he said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. He came back seeing. Listen, sometimes things get a little messy. Religion chases after the things that are pretty. If it's not pretty, then I don't really want it. Like, it's got to look right. It's got to feel right. It's got to have these rules. There's got to be a, a presentation. There's got to be something. Listen, religion, religion is, is pretty, but relationships are messy. Religion is pretty, but relationships are messy. Relationships are messy. If you think about it, have you seen those church marquees? We used to have one in our old building. You can put the letters in. To the, to the church marquee, you know, and you can make the church sign go up there with the little letters, and, and, and there's whole websites devoted to funny versions of those and how they do little punny, like pun humor things on the, on the signs, but we don't have one of those now, um, which is great because changing the letters can be a little annoying, and, and I don't know, ever know what to put up there. But honest church marquees, if you think about it, like if there's an honest church marquee, honest church marquee, it might be this. We are a pretty church with pretty people. And if you aren't pretty, you can't be part of the church. We're a pretty church with pretty people. And if you aren't pretty, then you can't be part of the church. The temptation is this. As we show up to church with our church mask on, life can be going absolutely crazy in our life. And we show up with praise the Lord's and hallelujahs and, oh, yes, we just, you know, God is so good. And don't get me wrong, there's faith that comes into that thing, and especially when you're amongst believers. I can tell you every time I'm here and I'm worshiping with you as a church, my faith gets stirred up. It rises up. I can feel my spirit being encouraged in the midst of believers. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about pretending like everything is okay when it's not. See, now, I get it. On Sunday mornings, it'd be really awkward to... To, to, be, to be a mess, which is why small groups are so important. As part of the church, we have now relationships together with each other while we're pursuing a relationship with Jesus. And so when we're doing that, all of a sudden we can find encouragement. We can go to a place where we have honesty. We can have, go to a place where, where we can say, be honest about, hey, you know, I'm just not doing well in this part right now. And people are there to encourage you and, and to build you up. And there's times where they're encouraging and building you up. And there's times where you get to be encouragement and building up others. And together as a relationship, we start to help people met, pursue Jesus, be able to follow Jesus. It's about the relationship. Relationships can be messy. You see, religion will create a culture of performance where you can't admit your faults. You can't confess your sins, but you have to keep on the pretty face to be accepted. Religion will build a culture of where you have to stay pretty to be accepted. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Jesus says, come as you are. I love you right where you're at. Listen, so many times we can, we can be in our walk with the Lord. And if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm glad that you're here. I'd love for you to make that decision to follow Jesus. But, but as you start to follow Jesus, um, you, you can start to see that, that, that you start to understand like, well, there's a shortcoming that I'm kind of dealing with right now. So many times we can get stuck in the moment of the shortcoming that God is working on us through right at the moment that we lose sight of the big picture. Sure, I'm not where I, I want to be. As a pastor of a church, I'm not where I, I want to be. I'm not, I, I look forward to the future and I can see that I'm not where I, I want to be. But sometimes you got to pause every once in a while and take a step back and say, yeah, but I'm not where I used to be either. 
following Jesus has taken me down this road where he has started to transform me little by little by little. As I've walked with him, he has changed me and transformed me into being more Christ-like as I've moved forward through life. When you're following Jesus, so many times it's small incremental changes that are happening and you start to look back into your life and you see how much you've changed, how much, how far he's taken you. Okay, so where are we at? Oh yeah, the pool and the washing off of the eyes. If I don't stay focused, we're going to be here all day. All right, number 13. Verse number 13, and you can see the story moves forward. In verse 13, it says, They brought to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the time, so they would like be the pastors and the deacons and the, of, their, of what they had as their religious structure. And so they, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind, Verse 14, now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened the eyes. Okay, him doing miracles on the Sabbath just irked these guys because they had a rule. We talked about the weight of the rules. They had so many rules. And one of them was on the Sabbath day, you can't do any work, right? And so Jesus did it all the time though. I I wonder if he was like, I'm gonna schedule this one on the Sabbath, ha, ha, ha. Or I'm not sure how he planned. Why couldn't he just do the other six days? Why do you do the Sabbath? You know why? I think he did it just to get under the skin of these guys, just to expose the religion that they're absorbed in, to, to expose the rules that these guys are, are, are just imposing on people that are just a burden, that are just weighing people down unnecessarily. Honestly, that's sometimes why I wear those jeans that have all those holes in them. I'm just like, how many people are gonna make a comment? This is gonna be fun today. See, as I follow Jesus, I become more Christ-like. <laughs> no? Too bad. All right, all right. They brought to the Pharisees a man who has formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Here's the thing. Jesus healed people on the Sabbath seven different times. It's like he's picking a fight with these guys. It's, it, it, listen, our religious traditions aren't going to set people free. Our rules and our... Ba- that, that's... Finding freedom isn't through the religious traditions. It's, it's through Jesus setting people free. You see, religion holds us back. Religion holds us back, but relationships with Jesus will set us free. A relationship with Jesus will set us free. Religion holds us back, but relationship will set us free. It will set us free. Religious tradition was dominating the mindset of that era. All right, verse 15. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, well... He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, Well, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division amongst them. Some of the Pharisees are like, Well, he must not be from God because he did this on the Sabbath. They viewed their rules as such a high place that they alienated people from a relationship with God. They missed the miracle because it did not fit into their religious traditions. They missed the miracle because it did not fit into their religious traditions. What religious tradition do you have that causes you to miss a miracle in your life? See, religion misses the miracle because it did not happen the way that they thought it would happen. I prayed for this situation and it didn't come out the way I prayed for it. 
but it did change. It didn't happen the way that I wanted it to happen. This, I, I had a, a plan in my head of this is how it was going to go, but it didn't happen that way. It happened a different way. What do we have in our life that keeps us from seeing the miracles that God is doing? You see, religion is about control and manipulation. It's not about setting people free. Okay, moving forward, verse number 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received this sight. They didn't believe him. Oh, you were just a, you were a plant in the audience. You weren't really born this way. You were faking it for the last 25 years of your life, knowing that this moment might come along so that you could, like, like they were saying these things, like he was a faker. Is, is that really the guy who was down there? They didn't, they didn't believe him. They said, well, we got to call in some, some authentic eyewitnesses. we got to call in some support. We've got we to call in some backup. So they call him in. They call in the parents. And if anybody should have stood with this guy, his parents would have done it. The parents grew up with the struggle. They knew that he had been born blind. They knew that they had to help his, their son to be able to find things. They knew that they could not rearrange the furniture without causing mayhem. Or maybe, as a practical joke, they would rearrange the furniture. You couldn't tell your blind kid, go clean up your room, could you? I don't know, maybe. But, you know, they, they had dealt with the struggle. And so they called the parents, and in verse 19, and asked him, Is this your son who you, say, who you say was born blind? How does he now see? And his parents answered, We know that this is our son, and he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He can speak for himself. Religion is unaware of what Jesus is up to sometimes. Verse 22, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age Ask him. If anybody should have stood with this guy, you would think it would be his parents. Hmm. You see here that this happened? That religion controlled these people through fear. If you confess Jesus, if you say that Jesus did it, if you, then you're going to be kicked out. You're going to be kicked out of our church. You're going to be kicked out of our religious circle. You're going to be kicked out of our, of our system. They were controlling people through fear, controlling this family through fear. You see, religion will turn its back, but relationship extends a hand. Religion will turn its back, but relationship will extend a hand. See, I don't care what's happened in your life. In your, I care, but I don't care what's happened in your life in regards to your relationship with Jesus. I know that what happened in your past, that, that God is extending a hand, I'm extending a hand, and we as a church should extend in a hand to those who are hurting, who have had stuff go on in their past that need a relationship with Jesus. Our call is not to categorize people based on, on what they have or haven't done in their past, or what they are or currently are or are not doing. They might be living a lifestyle that you know is contradictory to Scripture, but I'm telling you, church, as a church, we should not be someone who categorizes that person, demonizes them, and kicks them out. That's what they were doing. They would categorize them, demonize them, and kick them out. And church, we're not that kind of a church, are we? 
We're not that kind of a way, are we? Listen, we're people who are following after Jesus. We are chasing after him. And we understand that, that God has forgiven each and every one of us to such a point that we know that God's grace is real. And the same grace that Jesus extends to you, he extends to the other person and to everyone else in our world. Listen, church, we are a church who is going to reach out and bring in. We are not going to kick out. We are going to grab and bring them in to church. I want to encourage you that you know someone who's far from God, you can bring them into this church. It's safe. It's safe here. I don't care what happened or what's gone through, but the hand says this. The relationship says, I'm walking you through this. This is what Jesus does for us. He says, I'm not going to turn my back on you. Jesus says, I see the mess that's in your life. I see the mess that you've gone through or the mess that you're going through. And together, we're going to walk through this says that Jesus never leaves or forsakes us. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't get rid of us. You might have family and friends who abandon you. They might reject you, but I want you to know that you can always turn to Jesus who will always accept you. And he calls you to a higher life, to a better way. My encouragement is that each and every one of us would follow him with everything that we have. If the band would come, I'm going to close now. We're in verse number 34, and it says, says this. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. See, religion always talks about your past, but relationship points to your future. See, that's what you did. Hmm. Religion wants you to feel as guilty as possible. That's what you did. You, you, you did this so you can't speak to us. And they threw him out. For years, I was a youth pastor. I worked with teenagers and I uh, worked with middle school and high schoolers. And, and man, I tell you what, that was a fun time of life. There were lots of energy, lots of fun. It's crazy. I don't know if you remember middle school. If you're here today and you're in middle school or high school, and, and there's like an exploration phase in there where you start to explore, like, who am I? Because, you know, and, and as a kid, you just kind of follow in line with what your parents are doing. But then in middle school and high school, you start to experiment, don't you? You're like, well, maybe I like my hair long. Maybe I want it short. I mean, I don't know. I'm stuck with this. But, but you know, I want to, what, what's my style like? And then you get to high school, and there's all these categories. Have you, if you guys can remember, there's like the jocks, and there's the nerds, and there's the emos, and there's, there's all the different, there's the different categories. That are in there. They're like, well, who do I fit in with? Where do I go? There's all these different things. And as a youth group, we had a wide variety of students that were showing up. And there's a dress code for every single one of those categories, have you, if you can remember that. The jocks wore a certain things. They had their letter jacket, right? They, they, they wore things a certain way. And then the nerds had something else that, that they would wear. And the, and the emo, if, if you're too old to have the emos that were in your, your school, lots of dark black clothing. So as a youth pastor, I, I had this confrontation with somebody um, years, years and years and years ago. And, and, they, and they came and they said, you know, the, these kids, they, they're not dressed right for church. Because they weren't. Like, if you get down to what church world should look like, we're a pretty church with pretty people, and if you can't look pretty, you don't belong. If you, if you look at that, they weren't dressed right for church. They were just dressed like they're normally dressed. And I had people come and, and say, challenge me and say, Pastor Matt, you should get these students 
to adhere to this dress code. I think I saw a kid with a hat on in church. Where do you want him to be? He should be in church. Where else do you want this guy to be? Who cares if he has 18 monster chains hanging off of his black pants that are 18 feet in diameter and, and they have black makeup on? And That's where you want him to be. You want him to be in church. Don't you? With people that you want people to get to be in church so they can start to follow God. You want people following Jesus. Listen, sometimes your outside might feel like it doesn't match everybody else around you. Listen, God doesn't look on the outside. He looks at the inside. Where is your heart at? Where are you following with? And we should be the same way. We should be looking at people on the inside and saying, listen, I want, I'm concerned about your heart. Don't worry about the outside. The outside will come eventually along the way. Eventually you turn 40 and you stop wearing jeans with holes in them, right? And so you got these, the outside will come along. My outside's working its way there eventually, right? People were obsessed with the outside back in Jesus' day. And the temptation for today is to be the same, that we would be obsessed with the outside of people more than concerned on the inside of people. Hmm. Here's the thing. You see, this is the, the, the crux of the verse, is, of this section is verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found out, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Referring to himself. When religion throws you out, Jesus draws you in. When religion throws you out, Jesus draws you in. My hope and my prayer is that City Church would be known to be people who are following Jesus and encouraging others to be following Jesus, that we would draw people in to continue to walk and follow Jesus. Maybe you've been thrown out. Maybe you've been rejected. You might be here this morning and you've been told that you're not good enough or that you don't belong. And it could be, it's possibly that that person was a follower of Jesus. It could have been somebody who was a Christian, somebody who was in your church. God forbid somebody in this church. It could have happened. You could have felt alienated and rejected. You could have felt categorized and demonized. You could have felt all of these things from what's happened because people are people. Listen, we've all fallen short. We all have shortcomings. It happens. My encouragement to you today is that don't let what other people have labeled you at matter. Seek after Jesus and understand that what Jesus has called you to be. It's possible that someone claimed to be a father of Christ mistreated you. I want you to understand that that's not who Jesus is. He didn't do that. When religion throws you out, Jesus, he draws you back in. So my challenge for every one of you this week is this, is, is, is what is it in your life that helps you follow Jesus? Everybody's a little different, by the way. We're, we're not robots, we're not clones. Everybody's a little different. What is it that helps you follow him? I, I gotta be honest, like for me, it's, I have some worship music that I will play. And in the midst of 
just having that worship, I will start to sing along and, and I will start to worship him. And sometimes it's in my car as I'm driving and so I don't close my eyes or anything. I got two hands on the wheel, but, but I will have intimate moments. Like I will have moments where I can feel my spirit connecting with his spirit as I'm driving down the road with worship music playing by myself in the car. I'll sing off key. Nobody knows, nobody cares. And I just know that I'm making a joyful noise in God's ears, right? Like I'm just worshiping him. For me, sometimes that's what really helps me connect with Jesus. For other people, it's reading the scripture. They, they will read the Bible and, and they will have just sincere moments of, of, of their spirit coming alive because of what they're reading in the scripture. For others, they'll have times of prayer. For others, it's times of service. What is it in your life that helps you draw close to Jesus? And, and my challenge for you this week is, can you just do that for a couple minutes every day? Following Jesus requires a little bit of action. It requires a little bit of intentionality. And here's the thing. It's like, well, I missed yesterday. That was five minutes yesterday I was supposed to do. So today I'm going to do 10 minutes to make up. No, no. Just five minutes today. You missed two days. Just, just fine. Just five minutes today. God, I just want to follow you today. Can you wake up in the morning and say, today I choose to follow Jesus? That's what following Jesus looks like. And as you follow him more and more and more, sometimes five minutes isn't enough and it turns into a little bit more and more. And it's not about checking off a list or having a timeline. It's about following Jesus, doing what helps encourage your spirit to be able to connect with Jesus in a real and tangible way. Will you bow your heads? I'd like to pray with, pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for this church this morning. I pray for City Church. God, I pray that, that although the temptation is strong sometimes to pick up rules, God, I pray that, that we would not allow religion to overcrowd our relationship with you. God, I pray that you would help everyone who's in here this morning to hear my voice and everybody who's listening online, that, that, that they would be able to, to be able to set aside the religion and be able to just to pursue the relationship. God, help us to not set rules on other people and try to control other people. God, help us to be able to just follow you. It's the command you ask, just, just follow me. God, help us to just follow you and trust that you are going to do what only you can do. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I, I just want to address those in the room that may not be followers of Jesus. You might be telling yourself, I can't follow Jesus because I can't do all the things that are required of me to follow him. <laughs> You're right. You can't. None of us can. In fact, Jesus died on the cross and paid the price. And, and when he did that, he said, it is finished. The work's done. You can't do it. That, you just follow. You might be saying, you know, I, I can't follow Jesus because I'll mess it up. Yeah, and you're right again <laughs> because we all mess up. It's not about being perfect. It's about every day getting up and saying, today I choose to follow you. And if you screw up one day, the next day you just get up and say, today I'm choosing to follow you. When you mess up, you just get right back at it. So you might be there this morning and saying, I, I'm not a follower of Jesus or 
I used to follow him, but I've walked away. And I need to get back. So if that's where you're at, will you just, you can pray this prayer with me in your head. You can pray it out loud if you want. But this is the prayer that you should pray. You say this, Jesus Christ, I confess you our Lord, that you died on the cross, that you rose from the grave and you paid for my sins. I surrender everything to you. Show me how to live for you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, church, will you stand with me? We're gonna sing one last song. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, I would love to know about it so I can help you on your journey. There is a card in the back front of you. You can write your name and check off, I made a decision. Drop it in the back box on the way out. I wanna give you some resources to help connect you so that you can get on your way following Jesus to help you. We'll have prayer teams on both sides of the stage available for prayer for any reason whatsoever. But come on, church, let's stand. Let's sing one last song before we leave this morning. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one.
with you all. Have a wonderful week. Clap your